Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Joseph tests his brothers for the last time, and we talk about being impulsive and extreme and hasty with our words, and then also how Judah points us to the picture of Christ with his sacrificial nature towards Benjamin. Genesis 44, Lesson 8. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. On the last episode, Jacob let Benjamin go with the other brothers to Egypt to buy food because Joseph had told them that they would not be able to buy anything unless they brought Benjamin back and proved that they weren't spies. And if you'll also remember, Simeon was in prison until they came back with Benjamin proving that. And so Jacob let Benjamin go with them because they were out of food. And Joseph was kind to them, brought them to his house and had dinner with them, but he didn't tell them who he was. And we focus most of our attention on the hopelessness of Jacob and how that brought him to trust and rely on God and what we can learn from that. So if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen. This week we pick up after they have had dinner with Joseph and he's sending them home. So let's go ahead and read the first five verses in chapter 44 of Genesis. And he, Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to the steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. I have to wonder what his steward is thinking whenever he keeps telling him, give them these things and then go after them and get onto them for having them and things like that, because this is the second time that he's done that. And, you know, Joseph was really generous and kind to them in the last chapter. And then now he seems to be setting them up and being harsh. So things are a bit confusing. But as time goes on, we'll understand a little bit more. The reason I stopped right here before he gets to the brothers is because I wanted to discuss this word divination because whenever we think about this, a lot of times we think about the spirit world and maybe fortune telling or people, you know, consulting spirits to find something out. 
And we've never had any indication that Joseph worships anyone but God. And so that gave me a little bit of concern when I read that word. And so I looked into it and really the technical meaning of this word just means to observe and use those observations for interpretation. And so this exact same word is used in Genesis 30, 27, whenever Laban is talking about Jacob. And I'm going to read you that verse in the New King James Version, which I'm reading in. It says, Laban said to him, please stay if I found favor in your eyes. For I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. That part where it says learned by experience, it uses the same word as is used here that he practices divination. And so what that really means is that Laban has just observed that he's doing well whenever Jacob is with him. And he has interpreted that as God blessing him because of Jacob. And so he doesn't want him to leave. And they did have a practice called hydromancy back then. And it would be when you would watch the water movements and you would make interpretations. And so it's possible that he would use this cup to do that. It's also possible that he did not use the cup for this at all, but that it was just something that they would have believed that he did because the Egyptians did things like that. But even if he did interpret the water movements, it doesn't mean that he's consulting other spirits. It could mean that he's consulting God in order to give him those answers. If he were to be asking God a question and then using that cup to interpret the water movements to see what answer God would give to him. People did this all the time in order to discern God's will. If you remember, we've talked about the Urim and the Thummim before, which were things that were kept on the breastplate of the priests. And they would ask God a question and then throw these things out. And however they landed, that would give them the answer that they had asked God for. So God would make that land at a certain spot. And that very well could be the same type of thing that he's doing with this, if he's using this cup at all for what he says he is. He may have just been telling them, you know, that's my special cup. It may not have been necessarily that he did use it for divination, even though he said it. But even though we may not know exactly what it is that he was doing with this cup, we know that he did not worship other gods because there is no evidence of that anywhere else in the Bible. And so sometimes because their language was so different and the times were so different, there's going to be things in the Bible that we can't completely understand. And so if we find something in the Bible that tells us something that sounds contrary to literally everything else on that subject, then most likely there's just something we don't understand. And so I don't want us to get hung up on that word and think that Joseph is doing something wrong because no matter what it is he is or is not doing with this cup, we know that he is not worshiping other spirits because we don't have any indication of that from anywhere else in the Bible. So we're going to go ahead and move on and see what happens whenever the steward reaches the brothers. So let's begin reading in verse 6. So he overtook them and he spoke to him these same words. 
And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from the Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said to them, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be blameless. So in the beginning, when they were accused of stealing the cup, they made some pretty good arguments because they first were just appealing to their own morality and saying, hey, we're not those type of people. We wouldn't do that. And then they logically just explained that that doesn't even make sense. Why would they bring the money back to them that had been put in their sacks the first time, proving that they were not stealing the grain the first time, only to go back and steal from him again? That just wouldn't make any sense. And they should have stopped right there. They should have just said, that doesn't make any sense. We would never do that. And that been it. But they continued to talk and said, if you happen to find this cup with any of us, then you can kill the person that you found it with and the rest of you will be our slaves. And obviously that is a huge mistake because we know that Joseph has put the cup in Benjamin's sack. And so that really was just a very impulsive thing for them to say because they should have thought through how the money had gotten in the mouth of their sacks. They even brought it up. Like we brought back the money that magically appeared in our sacks before. So why would they not think to themselves, you know, if the money could get there and we didn't put it there, then the cup could get there too. So they just weren't thinking because they were just trying to defend themselves. And then they also were not thinking about Jay. Jacob and the promise that they had made to him because if by some freak chance they were wrong, then they would not be able to bring all the brothers back safely as they had told him that they would. And so they really, really should not have done this. Thankfully, the steward was a fair man and he said, no, I'm not going to punish all of you. I'll make the person that I find it my slave and everyone else can go home. But that still would not bring all the brothers safely home. And here's the thing. It's easy for us to criticize them because we know the outcome. But when you're being accused of doing something that you know for a fact you didn't do, then a lot of times we just don't think about what if there's something I don't know. And that's the thing is that They just could not consider the possibility that they were wrong. They could not consider the possibility that something could be going on that they were unaware of. And we just have to be careful of, you know, just not really thinking everything through and being so sure of ourselves that we're willing to risk everything because what if we're wrong, you know? Listen to what it says in Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And that's what they are. They're just hasty in their words. They're not thinking about what they're saying. They're saying all these things without really thinking through the consequences. And now they're in a lot of trouble. And then also they're making a promise, believing that they can keep that promise, but they are not going to be able to follow through with these consequences. It's really a good idea for us not to promise something that we know good and well we would not be willing to follow through with if by some chance we're wrong or unable to fulfill our promise. And so we just have to be careful about making promises that we may or 
may not be able to keep. And so there's several verses in Proverbs about making pledges. And then what if we can't follow through with that? What if we say things and we believe them to be true at the moment, but something changes and then we can't follow through with those things? This is Proverbs 6, 1 and 2. It says, My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. And that's what happens to these brothers. They swear that they have not done this, and then their words are a snare to them. They say too much and go too far without really thinking things through. This is Proverbs seventeen eighteen. A man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. You know, you may think that you can fulfill that pledge or your friend can fulfill that pledge, but what if not? Listen to Proverbs 21, 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. So that's what happened to these people. They were hasty. They weren't not thinking things through. And now they're in a bad situation. Last verse on this subject. Proverbs twenty two twenty six. Do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from underneath you? So that's the thing. They couldn't pay this debt that they just told him that they could pay. They pledged to him that they did not do this and said, we will pay you with our lives and our service if we're wrong. And this is not a debt that they can pay. And now that they find out they can't pay it, then they're losing everything. That's what this verse says. If you have nothing with which to pay, then why should you lose the bed right from underneath you? We have to be very careful about making promises and making ourselves indebted when we cannot pay that debt. If we fall through on our promise, if there's something that we don't know, if circumstances change, all of those types of things. So they spoke hastily. They were very extreme. They were very confident. And we're going to see here pretty soon that this did not work out well for them, obviously, since we already know that the cup was put in Benjamin's sack. Now, I do want to ask real quick before we move on, why in the world is Joseph doing this? You know, is that the plan all along is just to take Benjamin as his slave so he can be close to his brother? I mean, that would make sense, except for that still leaves his father out and hurts his father. And he knows that. And so it seems to me that it's probably still just a test to see how loyal the brothers are going to be to Benjamin and how much they've changed. And so let's go ahead and read on and see what happens when they find it in Benjamin's sack and how loyal the brothers are to him. We're going to read the rest of this chapter, beginning in verse 11. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he with whom the cup was found. 
But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing, and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face any more. So it was, when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord, and our father said, Go back and buy us a little food. But we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I haven't seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servant will bring down the gray hair of your servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Okay, so I want you to notice that whenever the steward began searching for the cup in each one of their sacks, he again goes from oldest to youngest. And if you'll remember from last week, that's how they sat at the table whenever they had dinner at Joseph's house also. So they must be wondering how in the world he knows their birth order. It's all just very strange. And then the steward does find the cup in Benjamin's sack and the brothers are just destroyed. They do not know what to do. And so they all leave and go back to Joseph with Benjamin, all of them taking responsibility. And so it seems to me that if Joseph was examining their character and their loyalty to Benjamin, then they were passing this test because they were allowed to go back home. They could have gone back home without Benjamin, but they were not going to do that. They were loyal to Benjamin and they were true to their word to Jacob. And they were not going to let something happen to Jacob's other son. And they were willing to go back and face the responsibility with Benjamin. And that shows that they've changed from how they were before, I think. And so when they got there, Joseph immediately says, you know, why would you do something like this to me? And then he uses this word divination again. He says, don't you know that a man like me can certainly practice divination? But if you think about what that word means, practice observing the signs and making inferences about those signs, then don't you know that I would find out? 
That's what he's saying. Don't you know that I would be able to find these things out, that I would be able to use everything at my disposal to find out what's going on? You know that he's not talking about using divination from the cup because he doesn't have the cup. And so he's just talking about, don't you know that I am like divine? I am capable of finding out all things. This would be sort of like how a mom says, you know, I'm going to find out. If you do something wrong, I'm going to find out. That's sort of what he's saying. Don't you know that I'm a powerful man? And notice that the brothers don't even know what to say. And they even say that. They say, we we don't even know what to say. We have no way to clear ourselves. And so God knows that we've done things wrong in the past and apparently he's punishing us. I mean, that's about all they can figure out. And so they said, We're, we'll be your slaves, all of us. And Joseph, again, being fair, says, no, only the one that stole the cup is going to be my slave. All the rest of you can go back to your father in peace. But they know that that's not possible, right? They know that there's no way that it will be peaceful if they go back to their father and Benjamin is not with them. And so Judah is very bold and he goes to Joseph and he says, please don't be angry with me. I know that this is bold for me to talk to you like this when I may as well be talking to Pharaoh himself. But you just do not understand what's going on. And then he goes through the whole story about how Joseph asked them and they told him and then he asked for them to bring Benjamin back. And when they got back and told their father, he was so sad. And it must have been really hard for Joseph to listen to because Judah tells him that his father's wife had two sons and one of them, the father believed, had been torn to pieces. And of course, that was him. And then the other one is all he has left. And he says, if anything happens to him, my father will not be able to make it. He says his life is bound up in Benjamin's life. And so I'm sure that it was difficult for Joseph to hear all of the pain that his father had gone through. But then Judah explains to him, hey, I put myself on the line to bring Benjamin back. And so I told my father I would bear the blame if he didn't come back. And I can't bear to go back and see how sad my dad's going to be. And so can you please just keep me instead? I will take his place. I will take his punishment. And we're going to stop right there and we'll see next week if Joseph allows Judah to take Benjamin's place with the punishment. But I want us to spend the rest of our time focused on that because if you'll remember, Reuben also said that he would be responsible for Benjamin and that if he did not bring Benjamin back, that his dad could kill his sons because Jacob would have lost two sons. And so he was willing to lose his two sons if he didn't bring him back. But notice that Reuben put his family on the line, but Judah put himself on the line. And he told Jacob, I will bear the blame. But here, he's taking Benjamin's place completely. He is not willing to allow his brother to suffer that punishment because he knows how much it's going to hurt his father. And so he is willing to completely put himself in Benjamin's place and take his punishment upon himself. And anytime we hear of that type of sacrifice, it should remind us of Jesus, of how Jesus took our place, our punishment. He went to the Father and said, no, I will take their punishment. 
I do not want them to have to suffer eternal separation from you. And so I will take their punishment and then they'll be free from that. They will no longer be held guilty and they'll be able to enter heaven and be with you forever. And, you know, that's the same kind of sacrificial love that he asks us to show for other people, too. It's the same kind of sacrificial love that he asks us to return to him and to others. And so I want to read some verses about Jesus and how he was our sacrifice and what his expectation is for us in return. So the first one is found in Luke 9, 23 through 25. And it says, Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? So Jesus is telling us that if we want to follow him to heaven, then we need to also sacrifice our own lives as he sacrificed his own life. If we're so concerned about our lives that we don't live for him, then what's the point? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Our soul is eternal. This life here is not. And so he's explaining to us that he sacrificed his life for us and he expects us to sacrifice our lives to him. This will be a little better explained in some further verses. Let's go ahead and read in John 15, 12 and 13. It says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. And so that's the kind of love that Judah is exhibiting to Benjamin, the kind of love that Joseph surely wants to see, right? That he's willing to sacrifice his own life for Benjamin's life. And then listen to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this is the better explanation for the first one that we read in Luke whenever he's telling us to take up our cross and follow him, and that if we aren't willing to lose our lives... This is what he's talking about here. He says, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, making our lives holy and acceptable to God. That is how we are a living sacrifice to him. And he says, that's your only reasonable service in return for what Jesus has done for you. He was willing to die and bear the sins of the world on his shoulders. And all he's asking is that we live for him. That's our sacrifice to him. And he says, that's really the least you can do. That's the only reasonable service that you can give back to me because we can't repay Jesus for what he did. And the only thing that we can really do is just live for him since he gave his life for us. And it goes on to say not to be conformed to the world, but let ourselves be transformed by renewing our minds to find out what God's good and acceptable and perfect will is for us. 
So we're supposed to live to do his will. That is our sacrifice. So we may not be called to sacrifice our lives for someone else. And we can't repay Jesus, but we can give our lives to him and sacrifice our own desires. That's what he's calling dying to ourselves. Sacrifice what we want for what he wants. Listen to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So if we want to be like God, then we have to walk in love and not only loving others, but loving others in the same way that Jesus loved us by giving himself for us. We're supposed to be having a sacrificial type of love towards others. Last one, 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So it's like, this is how we know what real love is, because he laid down his life for us. That's real love. That's how we can understand how deeply we're supposed to love people. He asks us to be like that. And Judah was doing that. You know, these stories in the Bible, this history of the world is not just written down to tell us what happened. It's to teach us things. And so Judah is a picture of Jesus here all the way in the beginning, thousands of years before Jesus comes on the scene on this earth. Judah is showing us what it's like to sacrifice for the people that you love. And later, after Jesus comes and we see his sacrifice, then we are asked to do those same things. And so we need to be like Judah, willing to sacrifice our lives for other people. And we need to remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us and live for him. Do the things that would please him and not ourselves. So that's the lesson today. Next week, we will read Genesis 45 and we'll find out if Joseph allows Judah to take Benjamin's punishment or if he makes Benjamin stay there as a slave or whatever. This is kind of the climax of the story of Joseph. And so you really might want to make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss that episode because it's a really important one. And then leave me comments wherever you're listening. Leave me a five-star review. You can also email me. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. And just try this week to do your reasonable service to God by making your life a living sacrifice to Him, giving your life to Him, allowing Him to be Lord of your life, in charge of your life. Thanks and have a good day.